Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Hello, friends and listeners. This week, I am going to be reading from... A book that is adapted for kids, the original book and the teen young adult version of this book is always being challenged because it makes people uncomfortable, but I think it helps explain racism in a great way. And actually, I feel like this book is great for juvenile listeners, like upper elementary, middle school, even teens who don't want something super dense when it comes to race and race relations. This might be an accessible entry point for you all. Okay, so the title is Stamped for Kids, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. So Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi are the ones that originally wrote it. This one has been adapted by Sonia Cherry Paul. And there's some artwork in here that is by Rochelle Baker. Okay, so I'm going to read from the front flap. Race. Uh Uh-oh, the R word. But actually talking about race is one of the most important things to learn how to do. Adapted from the groundbreaking bestseller Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, this book takes you on a journey from present to past and back again. You'll find out where racist ideas come from, Identify how they impact America today and meet those who have fought racism with anti-racism. Along the way, you'll see how you can identify and stamp out racist thoughts in your own life. All right, so it makes many people, not just white people, but a lot of white people, uncomfortable to talk about race. And that's okay. You're allowed to feel that discomfort and sit with it and think about how that makes you feel and why. And then you have permission to move through that uncomfortable feeling and figure out how to move forward. And that's really what this book is about. So I really like the introduction. So I'm going to read that. Dear reader, you may be wondering, what is this book exactly? Because you're used to reading fictional stories, fairy tales, fantasies about heroes and monsters, or sleepy stories about funny talking times way before any of you were born. You've probably read several nonfiction books too. Books about the solar system, cool animals like wolverines, historical events such as the Revolutionary War, and biographies of trailblazers like Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, or Martin Luther King Jr. When you've read books about people and events from the past, you may have thought, What does this have to do with my life today? Well, this book includes the past and is directly connected to our lives as we live them right this minute. As you read this book, you'll come across lots of people. You already may know about some of them, but this book may make you think about them in a whole new way. In fact, you may even look at your own life differently. See, this is a present book. Not like a birthday present book, but like an everyday present book. 
or maybe just an everyday book, a book about the here and now, a book that can help you understand, for example, what the Black Lives Matter movement today is all about, a book that can help you to better understand where we are in this moment as Americans and how we got here, especially when it comes to race. Uh-oh, the R word. You may have been told not to talk about race or been made to feel like you can't, as if it's some kind of bad word, but it's not. It shouldn't be. It can't be. So let's all just take a deep breath. Inhale. Hold it. Exhale and breathe out. Race. See? Not so bad. We'll continue to take time to pause, to breathe and feel, and unpause as you read, think, and talk about race. Besides, talking about race is one of the most important skills you can learn. Think about the coolest thing you can do. Being able to talk about race is that times two, and three times as important. Here's why. Until we learn to talk about race, the poison of racism won't go away. As you read and think about race, also think about rope. Sometimes rope can be a lifeline. It helps climbers safely move upward and protects them from falling. Sometimes rope can be a weapon. It can be used to control and cause harm. Rope can also join people and things together in powerful ways. Like jumping double dutch brings all your friends together in the summer. Or like a swing connected to a playset or the branch of a tree that takes you sky high. Rope can be used to tie, pull, hold, and lift. How do people become tied to racist and anti-racist ideas? Who are the people pulling at each end? How do racist ideas hold people down? How do anti-racist ideas lift people up? How did things get so tangled in the first place? And who are the people working to unravel this mess? As you hold on to the image of rope, also keep three words in mind. Three words to describe the people we'll be exploring and the ideas they're tied to. Segregationist, assimilationist, anti-racist. There are serious definitions to these things, but I'm going to give you mine. Segregationists are haters, like real haters, people who hate you for not being like them. Assimilationists are people who like you only if you act like them. And then there are anti-racists. They love you because you are you. These aren't just words we'll be using to describe the people in this book. Remember, this is more than just a past book. It's a present book, an everyday book. So these are the words we'll be using to describe who you and me and all of us are every day. Along the way, you'll notice that people aren't always just one way. They can believe in and express any one of those three ideas, sometimes all in the same sentence. Also, and most important, people can change. I repeat, people can change. Since the beginning of the United States of America, there have been different ideas about what freedom means and who freedom is for. These differing ideas have always been connected to race. This book is meant to take you on a race journey from then to now, with some people you just may think of as new heroes. Anti-racists who help us see ourselves, who love you because you are you. One last thing. Something you'll see in this book is that all stories have points of view. And in these pages, you'll hear my voice taking you on this journey. But I want to be clear, this is not a book of my opinions, meaning the author, not me, Aaron, from the North Liberty Library. This is a book about America and about you. This book is full of truth. It's packed with the absolutely true facts 
of the choices people made over hundreds of years to get us where we are today. The choices people are still making. So remember, as you read that, you are part of writing the next chapter. The choices you make, the words you use, the way you look at yourself and those around you, they all matter. You matter. I hope you believe that the world can be good, that things can change, and that knowing the history can help us move toward a better, more honest future every day. Okay, so that was written by the author, and here is chapter one, A Great Big Lie. So this is for the years 1415 to 1619. Okay, where should we start? We might as well just jump in and begin with the first hater to make racist ideas popular. It was way, way, way back in 1415 when Europeans were busy conquering a bunch of countries. And when they'd conquer a place, they'd capture and enslave people who already lived there, like picking up souvenirs on vacation. Back then, slavery had nothing to do with skin color. Didn't matter what you looked like. It just mattered that you were conquered. Until this hater, a man named Gomez Ains de Zarara, made new ideas about slavery famous. New ideas that did connect slavery to skin color, as well as the idea of making a lot of money by trading enslaved people. How did Zarara do this? Through storytelling. Let's pause. Words matter, stories matter, lies matter. They can influence the way we think, what we believe, and how we act. As we continue, pay attention to the way words, stories, and lies do just that, how they influence what we think about people and race, and how we act. Let's unpause. Zarara wrote a book, a biography of the life and slave trading of his boss, Prince Henry of Portugal. Zarara wasn't the one actually enslaving or physically attacking Africans. As a matter of fact, he was on the sidelines, but he wrote the story, so he made the rules. And he used this story, his messed up fairy tale, to make Prince Henry seem like some kind of good guy, like his passion for kidnapping and enslaving Africans was something noble instead of something evil. Zarara spoke about owning humans as if they were a cool pair of sneakers, even though he described Africans as, quote, savage animals that needed training, which is definitely not the way we talk about sneakers. So maybe he viewed them as dress shoes, shiny black things that had to be worn and worn and worn until they break and soften and become comfortable on your feet. And what's worse, he claimed that enslaving Africans was a mission from God. God? Can you believe that? And that it was the Europeans' duty to civilize and tame them, to teach them Christianity in order to save their wretched souls. Over time, these racist lies would begin to convince even some African people that they weren't as good as white people. Zarara was the first person to write about and defend black human ownership, and his book, which was a hit, planted false anti-black racist ideas in a lot of Europeans' minds. It didn't take long for those ideas to seep in and stick. After Zarara's ridiculous lie, other Europeans followed in his racist footsteps to spread their own racist ideas to justify slavery. Copycats. Some decided that Africans were inferior, less human, and were black simply because the weather in Africa is hot, and that if they lived in colder temperatures, they could become white. Ridiculous. One English writer said blackness was a curse by God. Also ridiculous. More nonsense ideas were that because Africans were cursed, 
quote, cursed, they needed to be enslaved in order for that curse to be lifted. And that the relationship between enslaved people and their enslavers was kind and loving, more like children and their parents, definitely ridiculous. These ideas were attempts to paint a fake picture about the terrible experience for human beings who were forced into slavery, also that white enslavers felt better about enslaving black people. And when Europeans took over the land that they'd later call America, they brought all of these ridiculous, fool-headed, harebrained ideas with them. I'm going to keep going because this chapter is short. So chapter two, stolen land, stolen lives. And this is from 1619 to 1688. In 1619, the first ship carrying enslaved African people arrived in the newly colonized America. America welcomed slavery with open arms and used it to build this new country. Years passed. More and more Europeans arrived, too, running away from haters of their own and seeking freedoms and opportunities. Some of these new arrivals were missionaries, religious folks who wanted to spread their religion, including Puritan ministers who followed strict religious rules. When they came to America, they set up churches and schools to teach their way of thinking, that they were better than anyone who wasn't a Puritan and way better than Native American and African people. They taught those ideas in their churches and schools, which, along with Zarara's ideas and others, helped justify slavery for a long, long time. Basically, it was tied to church and school, which are basically the bacon and eggs of the country. Or maybe the bread and cheese, the meat and potatoes. You get the point. Americans acted like they were playing one of those video games where you have to build a world. Except that's racist. Native Americans had already built a world. But a social network of farmers and missionaries forcefully took over this native world by taking over their land. And what were they doing on that land? Planting and harvesting tobacco. Tobacco's not a big plant, but it can bring in big money. Rich Europeans would pay top dollar for tobacco to smoke and sniff. But if tobacco was really going to bring in big, big money and become the natural resource used to power the country, then farmers would need more human resources to grow it. See where this is going? Slavery. But remember, America was full of church folk and dirt folk, and the new enslaved Africans would cause a bit of conflict between the two. For the planters, slavery meant they didn't have to pay people to work the fields, so labor by those who were enslaved made them lots of money. For the missionaries, slavery meant new souls to convert to their brand of Christianity. Basically, planters wanted to grow profits, while missionaries wanted to grow their church. No one cared what the enslaved Africans wanted, but I'm willing to bet they didn't want the religion of their enslavers, and they definitely didn't want to be enslaved. Some of the enslavers resisted the missionaries' pressure to convert enslaved Africans. They didn't care as much about saving souls as they cared about saving their crops and making more money. Many enslavers even worried that if enslaved people had the same religion as them, then they could no longer enslave them. So they made up racist excuses for why enslaved Africans couldn't be converted, like that Africans were wild and inhuman, unworthy of love from anyone, even from God. And that is actually the end of the chapter. So I'm going to stop. It'd be really easy to keep reading. It doesn't take very long to get through these chapters. So yes, 
nonfiction book. I know we started the month of podcasting with a nonfiction book for older teens. And we're finishing the month with a nonfiction book for younger kids and teens. But I think it's important to remember that nonfiction can actually be really fun to read and it's really easy to learn from and that this book is really important. I mean, this series of stamped books gets challenged a lot in schools because some adults don't think that kids have the right to know about racism or even understand racism. They just don't trust your feelings that you can handle big ideas in ways that are written for you to understand. The unknown is scary. It's like if you've ever thought about space for too long or the ocean for too long, and you think about all of the things that we don't know about space and the ocean, and that's kind of scary. It's a little bit of the same thing for some adults where we don't want to know about things because it's scary to think about how that might make us feel or what we might learn about ourselves. But I think it's really important to know as much as you can about a subject and formulate your thoughts and opinions. And I think this book is important to help you in that adventure. So anyways, if you didn't like that book, you know what, that's okay. There's a lot of other books in the library to check out. I am going to post some read-alikes in the show notes. So if this is a subject that you want to know more about, you can find out. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you join me next time for another Next Reads.